Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Oh boy, another episode of Self-Worst. Can you believe it? Are you ready? I'm mostly ready. So here we go. Hi, I'm Brad Pearson. I'm the guy who makes the show and runs the show and everything. How you doing? How's your June? How's your solstice? Happy solstice to all who celebrate, observe the solstice. All you fucking astrology people out there. It's fine. You're entitled to your beliefs or whatever. Also, happy birthday to my sister and all who uh, observe, which is pretty much my sister. I mean, or anybody else born on this day, I guess. Happy happy birthday, if you have the same birthday as my sister, sure. Who else was born on June 22nd, my sister's birthday? That's when I'm recording this. Let them find out. Internet, tell us. Okay, we got Chris Christopherson, Peter Asher, Meryl Streep. That's a good one. Lindsay Wagner, Graham Greene, Cindy Lauper. Good one. Tim Russ, Aaron Brockovich, and Kyle Drexler. Okay, sure. Happy birthday to all those folks, too, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, we're about halfway through this pretty dumb year. In a series of dumb years. And uh, it's, you know, it's a good time to take stock. Are you meeting your goals? Are you sticking to your resolutions? If you care to do that kind of shit. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of on track. I'm still trying to find another line of work and all of that shit. That progress has been a little frustrating, not gonna lie, but we'll get there. I, I'm, I'm getting a new... Well, I'm, I'm ending my current therapist. That's a big thing that's a big transition we're going through because I've been taking therapy through uh, Columbia University I got this like grad program and and it's free but the drawback is you gotta every couple years your guy graduates and then you gotta get another one so she's graduating and uh, I'm I'm moving on in the program and so I'm done and I think I'm gonna take some time off of therapy actually as shocking as that sounds don't worry I'll go back eventually but I feel like I got some other priorities right now you know I talked about this with my therapist where she knows we, we both we both know we, we got a plan I'm gonna be just kind of free balling it raw dogging it in the world through life for a while I think it's going to be alright I I have a plan of action so we'll get through it even if it's a little slower progress wise than we might like as long as you just keep laying stones eventually you will have a road speaking of processes that are very long and slow and difficult this week we're talking to Erin Hurley. She's a jiu-jitsu black belt. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Ever heard of it? Uh, and it is, let me tell you, a very difficult martial art. Uh, as a complete 
novice white belt. I've been practicing on and off for a year or so. Not going through that as quick as I would like either. You know, it's time and money and stuff. It's hard. Anyway, she's gotten herself all the way to black belt, which is like crazy hard. And it's really cool. So I've been really looking forward to having her on the show. And she didn't disappoint. Well, my guests never disappoint. I'm never disappointed in my guests. I'm only ever and always disappointed in myself. A long-term goal perhaps for me could be getting to like a blue belt. That's the second one up. So speaking of, there's going to be a lot of, you know, kind of inside baseball talk about uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You get a jiu-jitsu player talking and there's all this technical jargon that's going to start coming out, a triangle and spider guard and you know, passing and all of that stuff. It's all this to say, if you don't quite know what all that terminology is, it's not super important. That's just technical terminology. And I hope that that doesn't uh, alienate people who don't know uh, all of this stuff because I fucking barely know it. I, as she was talking, most of the time I was like, I think I know what she's, I think I know what she's talking about. I think I know what she's talking about. It sounds like she knows what she's talking about. And I think I know, so I think we're kind of on the same page. Anyway, it was a really good talk. She not only does that, but she runs a nonprofit called Submit the Stigma, uh, which is about, it's about mental health awareness and uh, getting rid of the stigma about talking about it, being open about it. So, prime candidate for this podcast. Great guest. So that's about it. Let's just let's just go to the fucking thing. I don't need to monologue that much today, right now. Hope you're having a nice time and a productive year and all of that. Here's a productive thing you can do. Rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe on Patreon. Patreon.com slash selfworst. Kick in as little as a dollar a month. And uh, you know what? I'm going to start putting up video content. I don't know why I haven't already done this, but I've been... You know, I, I, the Zoom recordings. If you want the video version for whatever reason, if you want to look and see what I look like as I'm like stammering through a sentence and asking dumb questions, then have at it. Anyway, follow me on social media at Radical Pearson uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at Self Worst. You can email the show. You know all of that stuff. Anyway, let's go to the interview. Um, I just finished school for the quarter, so I officially finished one year of grad school and somehow managed a 4.0 GPA, which I never thought possible ever. Um, so now I've got two weeks off. I'm in Niagara Falls with my boyfriend. So now I can actually just chill. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just getting over a cold, which is weird because it's summer. So right. know, annoying. But uh, other than that, pretty good. We're in that era of like, is it a cold or is it the Rona kind of right? Thing. And it's I like just... I I was vax boosted and I yeah. still got it. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Exactly. So I was, 
you know, it wasn't bad. It was just, sure. I had to be in quarantine for 12 days and I'm like, please just let me out. Um, other than that, yeah, just a regular cold. And I'm like, what is a cold? What? Yeah. <laughs> last year, like during like the Delta thing, I, I had a cold too. And I was testing all the time and I was like, it's, yep. it's not it. Like I, I, it, I yeah. don't have it, but I feel like I do. And I was like, fuck me. Like, I yeah, don't know. Do exactly. you, um, do you have, uh, trouble or, or do you, do you find it easy to, uh, find time to just kind of do nothing, chill out, relax for a couple of weeks? Yes. Um, I think it's hard to relax when I don't have a purpose. Like my schooling is like my purpose right now. So sometimes I'm like, I'll wake up and I'm like, all right, so what assignment do I need to do? And I'm like, wait, I have nothing. Um, but I generally am really good at putting downtime into my schedule mm -hmm. just because I understand how overwhelmed I get. And I deal with a lot because like ADHD, I deal with a lot of executive dysfunction. Yep. So it may look like I'm just relaxing on the couch or like watching TV, but really the whole time I'm just stressing about things that I should be doing. So it's like, you don't really get to relax because you're thinking about what you should be doing, even though you're not doing the thing you should be doing. So it feels like a waste of time. And I've heard that a lot of people in similar situations with like ADHD and whatnot, that are like, it just from the outside, it looks like we're just having a good time sitting on our phone, but really in the inside, it's like, fucking do it. Just fucking do the thing, like get shit done. Yeah. And it's so hard to like do the thing. So anytime I do the thing, whether it's laundry or like assignments or like teaching a private for jujitsu, like I understand like it's, it's an accomplishment when I'm able to do it sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I often have that uh, experience, like, you know, in the Matrix when uh, in the beginning scene when Trinity is like uh, in the in the stairway and she's like telling herself to get up and she like can't yeah. get up. Yeah, she's like, too yeah. scared. And it's like yes. that, like, it's not like I'm scared to get up. It's just there's this uh, inertia that happens yeah. when I'm yeah. like on my phone, especially I, I and, you know. Mm -hmm. I've tried to do the thing where I keep my phone charging away from my bed so I don't do the thing where I'm just sitting with my phone like on my chest yeah. until my hand <laughs> falls asleep and stuff. But like, what you gotta have your phone by you. Like, I just, yep. I, I, what are you gonna, like, that yep. you get a text in the middle of the night, you're gonna get your ass out of bed and go check your phone. Like, that's, right. it's not a real, it, I did not find that to be a practical solution. There's not a lot of practical solutions. The only thing that I found, which is hard when I'm here because my boyfriend likes to fall asleep with the TV on, mm -hmm. but in my room at home in LA, like I have no TV, I have blackout curtains, like I don't even really hang out in my room. I pretty much just use my room for like, you know, storing my shit and sleeping. Right. So that I know that when I retire to bed, I am just going to do a few little like maybe the New York Times crossword on my phone with the, the yellow or the without the blue light on, mm -hmm. which I have it automatically set, like after 9 p.m., it goes, you know, just on so that no matter what, even if I'm up late, like I still don't have the blue light that's gonna keep me up, you know? Um, so I try to do all of those things. Um, I have my melatonin. So you, we have like, my boyfriend and I have like routines so that I can sort of wind down because there's definitely like at least like an hour wind down time. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting in the living room doing nothing, sitting on my phone, it's the act of being in bed and like winding down that like I need in order to be able to sleep. There's no such thing as like, let me do everything. And then just, you know, 
Right. Like it doesn't work for me um, unless I like take a Benny Benadryl, so. <laughs> <laughs> which I did last night just to, just to be sure that I had a good enough sleep so I could wake up today and actually be coherent. Yeah, I mean, I I will, especially in the winter, just fall asleep. Um, like, I can't tell you the amount of times I've woken up the next morning with the lights on and my clothes on. Sometimes my shoes oh my on, I'm just like out on my bed. And I was like, what the fuck happened? I thought I was just going to like rest for a second. Just like, let me just right. decompress for a second. Then I'm going right. to get up and like make dinner and clean the apartment or something before I go to bed. Yep. And then I just wake up the next morning. I'm like, oops. So I mean, a good falling for asleep you, has never been a problem for me. Yeah, that's um, amazing. What are you studying in grad school? Uh, sports psychology. Oh, so cool. Okay. I'm what in is, the masters. What is it is basically finding ways for people to use their mental skills it's, men it's mental skills training mm -hmm. so we have different tools in our arsenal of like imagery or self-talk backed by evidence-based like science with theories so it takes a lot of the psychology theories and applies them to a sport or performance setting so it's not just athletes i can work with first responders i can work with like dancers anyone who has to perform someone who can do their training and then as soon as they have to actually like, you have one chance to do it. Like it just reminds me of like Eminem, right. uh, like <laughs> one chance and you, you know, you, you just got to do the thing. And if you fuck up, there's like usually consequences. And so there's a lot of issues with performing that I had as an athlete, like, you know, jujitsu is you could, it, it's like, you could remember a dance, like a uh, choreography and that's great. But then as soon as you get out there and the person's like choking you and they're like, no, you can't do that. They're like messing you up and everything. Right. So I, I think of it like a dance rehearsal uh, or a dance like competition, but then someone's coming in and trying to fuck you up by like just grabbing you and all this yeah. stuff. So you can plan all you want, but it's in the moment you have to be able to respond to your opponent's moves. And so like you just, I call it spidey senses. And it's very hard to really get to that point where you're like, I'm on without thinking about, oh my gosh, what if I lose uh, the fear of failure? Or what if I have a really shitty match? Um, yeah. And I don't, uh, not only do I lose, but I lose in like three seconds because the person taps Especially me in out. a competition setting, people right? are watching you get your ass whooped. It's humiliating. Exactly, exactly. So you have that. It's like, oh my God, like you have so many posts in Jiu-Jitsu that people are like, I'm sorry to my team, my family, yeah. I let you down. And it's so easy on the outside to be like, dude, like we still love you, like chill, it's just one tournament. But the amount of dedication required, it kind of like, if you're gonna, especially at the highest level, if you're gonna compete jujitsu, you've gotta dedicate yourself. So it, co it comes really high on the priority list. So like maybe you put off a bunch of hangouts with your friends. Maybe you spent all your money and now you're in debt on your credit card because you had to go to Whole Foods and buy healthy food just to be able to feed yourself to fuel your workouts. Um, how many times did you tell your parents like, oh, I wish I could see you, but I can't because I'm training. So all of these things like come to mind when you get out there and you're like, yeah, this is the world championships and you lose your first match and you're like, holy shit, that was embarrassing. Right. Like I just put everything into this, like I'm going to be a world champion and you get submitted your first match and there's no do over. You can't try again. So you get this one opportunity. So sports psychology is being able to train yourself. It's just like a uh, physical training yeah. where you have to remember the moves and drill and do it in repetitions and all that, and get it into your head. The same thing with 
being able to practice it, understand which skill works for you, and then being able to apply it in a rapid, uh, like cued uh, moment. Right. Where like you're like, okay, I, I I have that rehearsed relaxation method where I do my diaphragmatic breathing or the self-talk. And I already know the affirmations I'm going to tell myself. So there's a lot of drilling and training that you have to do in order to be able to use it in the moment. So that's what I'm learning to do. I'm, I'm learning these applied interventions and there, there is a bunch of overlap with counseling, but I'm not, I'm not going to be a therapist. I'm not going to be a counselor and I'm not going to be a psychologist. I'm going to uh, become certified as a certified mental performance consultant. So I'll be like a mental consultant or a mental coach. Mm. Um, and I, and I chose that route rather than being clinical, uh, even though I have been diagnosed with depression, anxiety and ADHD, and I take medication and all of these things that I've used clinical resources. It's, it's not my, I don't know. I just didn't want to be in the medical field essentially. And I feel like there's like, you have to get the licensing for your state and a CMPC can just practice anywhere. I can go worldwide, like Canada, where I am now. Right. So it kind of applies, and I'm not restricted by a licensing, but I still understand like when I need to refer someone to an actual therapist. Like, um, and therapy is great, you know. Like I, yeah. I, I really try to feed people into professional help. But uh, for me, being as chill as I am, and not wanting to be so like come into my office. I want to work on the field, on the mats. I want to work in a setting that is more chill. You know what I mean? And yeah. most people in sports are really scared. Not, I wouldn't say scared, but the stigma, right? Against uh, mm -hmm. seeking professional help. So, like, I mean, I've I've read so many like different case studies where it's like, you know, oh, that guy's seeing the the sports psychologist. You know, obviously he's weak in the mind. Yeah. Like, there's so many things that go along with it. And as a sport, as a mental consultant or like a sport and performance professional, like I think that it's, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with you. I just want to help you be your best. And I think that's the easiest way to get people to get help. And then once they're in with me, I can always refer them to someone if they, if they feel they have like a clinical diagnosis or they need something extra. But working in an interdisciplinary team is like my goal, right? The destigmatization of mental health, mental illness, therapy, all of that stuff is sort of at the forefront of, I mean, I think what you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do mm -hmm. with this, this podcast too, is just right. have frank discussions about this stuff and just bring it to light and talk about our struggles because, uh, it's, it's simply human and you don't have to have like, mm -hmm. you know, been in a war zone or, uh, you know, right. seen your family get eaten by a shark or something to have yeah. some sort of, you know, a deep, uh, trauma. trauma or whatever that needs to be unpacked. And, you know, I, I think especially, and this is one of the main points I was going to bring up with you. I think especially in the fight sports world, there is, um, I mean, there is, there is certainly a stereotype of, uh, whether it's accurate or not about, uh, kind of a macho meathead in this like mm -hmm. very like tough guy Cobra Kai sort of uh, mentality um, that I think a keeps a lot of people who sh would deeply benefit from training um, mm -hmm. away from it because they're you know they're a woman or they're queer or they're uh, non-binary and they don't feel safe in those spaces because they like just get this like weird like uh, it's all these kind of like you know 
just meathead Joe Rogany guys. And I don't think they're yeah. going to like, I'm not going to feel comfortable there. Yep. And also it stops the people who are training from seeking help when they probably should. There's, um, mm -hmm. I forget what there, there was a, I don't know if it was, it was some satirical news site that said something to the effect of like guy training jujitsu says, uh, this is like my therapy says guy who desperately yeah, yeah, needs yeah. actual therapy. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's something like that. I don't know. So, um, can you talk about like sort of your experience in the martial arts world? Like when did you start? And kind of on that note, um, what has been your experience in that world? Because I'm very new to it. I'm like a lily white belt and all of this mm -hmm. stuff, but I was, I have so far, and I think a lot of this is just cause I'm in New York. Uh, I have so far been very pleasantly surprised by how welcoming and inclusive and chill and laid back everybody is. Um, because I think I did kind of stay away from or, or, or was hesitant to start for a long time um, for, for that reason. So I, I would like to know like what your experience has been. Yeah. Um, I was never an athlete, so it wasn't like, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to go fight people and I'm in shape and I do athletic things and I work out. Like I, I used to think that working out was for people who like just liked working out. Like I didn't understand that it was like a necessity for, right. for just health. <laughs> Um, like I would just drink like four cans of Coke a day, get home, have like a lean cuisine and thinking like, oh yeah, right. look at me health. Till, um, till about, till about when? 2009. Mm -hmm. So two, actually 2008, I was in like the hardcore scene. So I guess I always sort of gravitated towards like, uh, tough guy things. And I always felt at home in the sense of, oh my God, it's so ironic. Like, look at me, just a little girl. Right. Uh, and I used to hang out at the skate park and I used to just do these kind of like guy things, but all the while, like really trying to boost up my, my femininity. Like I didn't have, I wasn't really a tomboy, but I was definitely like sort of a, a weirdo. Um, and my dad always uh, said that I was like his son that he never got. Like I have an older sister. She was more of like a book nerd. Um, whereas I was like wiling out, like always needed something like a job. Like I'm like a little Russell Terrier that just needs a job. Right. Otherwise I will eat your socks. So, um, my dad kind of knew that. So he was always trying to do like projects. Like we had horses growing up. Um, and then I was in band, I played trumpet and then in high school, I didn't really have anything because I was supposed to go to Hamilton, uh, which is a, like, you have to have a audition, to get into performing arts uh, high school mm -hmm. and I missed the audition and it just happened to be that I got the recommendation letter didn't work out and I was like it's okay mom like I'll just you know go do marching band at the local public school for now and I go in there and I go in uh like during the summer and I'm like this isn't this isn't what I want to do like I was like in jazz and classical and all this stuff for my trumpet and I was like I can't walk and play at the same time this is like I was like highbrow about it so uh, I didn't have anything throughout high school. And then once I got out of high school and I was going to shows, I was on a forum called the B9 forum. Uh, Bridge Nine Records had a just a shitty forum where people just talk shit. And I was like, sick, I'm going to get on here and like talk shit to people. Uh, uh, there was yes. a guy. Internet like, 1.0. Those were the days. Yes. You know? It was like that. Uh, and so I had a 
well, a friend, right? Every, if they're vouched for, right? If you could be like, yeah, well, my friend knows this guy who knows this guy, like he's cool. I was like, do you want to hang out when you're here? Look, I, I guess you're coming out for some jujitsu tournament, but if you want to hang out, let me know. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I picked him up and he's like, can we go to the tournament? It was at Cal State Dominguez Hills, which is a smaller college before they moved to the Pyramid and, and Irvine uh, for the big tournaments. And I walked in and I, and I saw uh, females. Like back in the day, they had, they had it all printed out and they had it all taped up on a wall. So you had to go find your match and then like try to be there at the same time that like you're supposed to and whatnot. So we see a match and I'm like, wow, this is pretty sick. Like I used to rough house with the guys, like try to wrestle them. I, I'd be like mooning people in high school, like not thinking about like, wow, people probably do want to see my ass. I thought I was just right. one of the dudes that was like gross. Um, <laughs> and so I uh, didn't walk into a jujitsu gym until like a year later because I had social anxiety. And at the time I was taking Accutane for acne and I was wearing makeup and I'm like, what if my makeup comes off? Well, Finally, I just I walked into a gym and I'm like, I want to start They're like, cool, here's your gi. Here's a two year contract that you're going to sign. Uh, and there you go. And I didn't really know that Hamala Bahal, who's like a massive legend, world champion, uh, best, you know, one of the best there ever was. Uh, I didn't know he was the instructor. And then because he was gone for like a month, he was competing somewhere. So he gets back and then I start listening to his stories and stuff. I'm like, holy shit. And someone's like, yeah, he's like the the Michael Jordan of jujitsu. Like, this is sick. So then I realized how spoiled I was, which you could probably imagine too. Like you can walk in, especially in New York, walk into a bunch of gyms and have it be really high level and mm -hmm. like just legend status. Uh, whereas other people are like, I'm lucky if I can find a blue belt to teach me or I have to go online and look at instructionals. So I ended up um, competing pretty early on and I had a, I had like two friends that were from the hardcore scene that I felt comfortable with. And I think that helped me sort of feel like, okay, I do belong here because these two dweebs over here are just as dweeby as me. And I didn't see a gender issue except for when I was training with like huge dudes. Orlando Sanchez was one of my first training partners. So this guy is massive. He's literally the Cuban tree stump. Um, so I was training with big people. And so then I was trying to like find females. I was going to different gyms around the area and whatnot. Um, but I, I felt, I felt at home because I was able to do the moves. It was always down to the moves. Like, can you do it? And at the time we were, cause he was under Gracie Baja. We changed to Gracie Baja later, but we used Dracolino's curriculum. So if you looked online, it would it would be like a circuit of like every month or two months, you'd circle back and like do the same moves. And of course, some people are like, I know this. I've done this before. Like, yeah, OK, I did a triangle. I know how to do a triangle forever, which we know is not the case right. because you have to practice your triangles like forever. Um, and there's different levels to it. So I'd find that maybe the cross choke, I'd find like a new person that's just starting. And I'd be like, wow, I could do the cross choke. Let me show you. So even though I'm a white belt teaching a white belt, it was just sort of being able to be a, uh, a uh, just a little bit higher and be able to teach someone else and be like, look, at this, this is what I know. This is what and, and it's not because I can do it it's because the technique works. So believing in the technique was huge. So being able to do things and be like, wow, it doesn't matter that. I have tips. It doesn't matter that I am a female. Like I'm using my assets 
Uh, I'm using my flexibility. I'm using all these things that like I didn't know that I had because I never actually tried athletic things before. Um, and then I just started shaping up from there and being like, like I had some Brazilian uh, friends that were like, no burritos, because I would just go get a burrito and a Coke. And they're like, mm -hmm. no Coca-Cola, no burrito. And I'm like, okay, uh, I guess, I guess I'm doing it. Started competing. And then that, that was it started. Got, like I got hooked. It was like, wow, this is my thing. So in terms of being a, a female, even though I was different, obviously very different when you put on that gi, I always felt like I was almost androgynous. Like it was like, you're wearing a gi, I'm wearing a gi. It's a unisex gi even mm -hmm. like I, I doesn't, it does not matter anymore. It matters who can do the move, who can do it the way that professor told you to do it, who can actually do it on another person. So there's levels and it's just a constant challenge and little itty bitty steps. So I never got thrown into the wolves. Obviously, I was taken care of because I was a smaller person. But what people don't realize is that smaller dudes have very similar issues that women have um, mm -hmm. in jujitsu, just being the smaller person. And so when you are a higher belt or you're bigger or you just have more strength or whatever it is, you do have to roll differently. But people always thought, no, no, I roll one way with a guy and I roll another way with a girl. And that's not true. You roll with someone who has different understandings of their jujitsu, someone who is maybe less flexible, someone who is older is going to grab, you know, right. and have those really tough grips. So you have to adapt how you roll to other people all the time. It's not just a gender issue. And so I just find that jujitsu is very much like unisex and also being a female and like a tough group, even though jujitsu, I don't think that jujitsu is tough. A lot of people are like, Oh no, it's so kick your ass. You know, she's a, right. she's a jujitsu black belt. Um, and I'm like, no, I can just sort of like hump you until you give up. Um, right. It's, it's not tough uh, when you get into it. It's the gentle art. So mm. definitely like stigma against being a female is not a thing, but mm. being, being tough, like everyone wants to feel tough like at, at some point. People want to feel empowered. And mm -hmm. I think jiu-jitsu does that for people, regardless yeah. of your gender. Yeah. I, well, and this is the thing that, you know, I, I want to always encourage more people who are, you know, across the gender spectrum or have always been kind of, you know, felt like they were weak or nerdy or timid or whatever mm -hmm. um, to train because um, so you're the second black belt I've had on the show. The, uh, the first was uh, the guy who got me into it was Diego Lopez. Um, and the cool thing that he said nice. during our interview was that, uh, what he noticed is it, it levels the playing field. People come in and they're either like, they're too cocky and they're too macho. And they're like, they're, they are kind of like a, a ruffian meathead and like mm -hmm. kind of an asshole and it humbles yeah. them and brings them down a notch and gets them to be a gentler person. And then the person who comes in who is timid and scared and uh afraid of confrontation uh it toughens mm -hmm. them and it strengthens them and it makes them a more assertive person in all aspects yes. of their life so yes. i mean it's it's really i don't know like jujitsu is one of those cultures that uh has that 
quasi culty kind of thing to it oh, where like every, everybody <laughs> into it is like it's like AA or something where like people are like it's right. a miracle it saved my life and like they just proselytize and never <laughs> shut up about life. it to all their fucking yeah. friends um but what was it for you um personally that that kind of drew you to uh, a more intense uh you know, art form, form of exercise. Like, I mean, even with like hardcore music, um, it's just, do you think it's just the way you're wired? Do you think it has something to do with ADHD? Um, uh, cause I, I've always found as an ADHD guy, uh, I've always found that I crave something intense and sometimes even painful or unpleasant. Yeah. Um, well, going to hardcore shows, it, for me, the social anxiety, like, I am always thinking about my self-presentation. And self-presentation is just how you are perceived. And most people go on about their day like, this is me. I chose this because I wanted to. And, oh, I'm hungry. I'm just going to eat. Oh, I'm walking around in public and I have to sneeze. Like, everybody sneezes. I'll sneeze. I'll sneeze as loud as I fucking want. Uh, if someone says bless you, okay. Um, but for me, even in high school, I remember walking around and be like, oh God, I have to sneeze. I have to sneeze. And I'm walking by myself. And if I had someone with me, if it was a weird, awkward sneeze, I could like laugh about it. But when you're by yourself, I'm like, for some reason, I'm like, oh my God, I have to sneeze. Ew. Uh, or whatever it is, I feel like I'm judging myself. So I've always had this inner judge. And then mm. when I had like, when I had, but okay, so like, you know, when you're trying to hold in a sneeze and your face just starts like contorting and it's mm-hmm. just like, that's so much right. worse. Clearly, yeah, you're making like the, the, the Laura Dern cry face, like trying to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I, when I would do that, I'm actually making myself look even weirder with even more questions. Mm-hmm. If I would have just been like, ah, you, uh, And so I'm always overthinking how I am perceived. And I think one of my fears is like being misinterpreted or, or just, you know, someone believing that I have bad intentions when I don't. And that's happened a lot. And I could easily, the logical side of my brain is like, duh, like you're not always going to be understood. You know, communication is not always going to be so fluid, but I am always, I'm always tempted to, to try. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in, in, in jujitsu and whatnot, like I, I kind of blended in because everybody is super duper awkward in the beginning. Um, and no one knows what the hell they're doing. Oh, and yeah, a lot they, of, you're telling me, right? Oh my God. And I feel like the most like just awkward, stupid, like gangly poodle haired yeah, in there. And yeah. like, I'm so silly and I look so dumb and like, I always feel so embarrassed cause I'm like mumbling to myself. I'm like, Oh, what? I didn't know that. Oh, Oh, what? Oh, oh, oh my. Like, you know, I just feel oh, so, you got my arm. Oh, oh no. Um, and, they're, and they're just like very like serious and stoic and kind of just like looking uh-huh. at me, waiting for me to like do it. And oh, if God, someone doesn't laugh at the things I say, I'm always just like oh my god I'm I'm they're they're not even there there's no connection here Mm -hmm. so jujitsu is very awkward uh and I'm awkward and I found that being awkward within an awkward situation is actually pretty fun and if you can't laugh at like certain things like north south when like some dude's balls are just like resting on my face or my forehead like that's weird like and if you're not going to acknowledge that that's weird uh, like, who are you? Like, why mm-hmm. are you here? Um, so it definitely brings people to a, a different le- playing field of what you were saying 
of like, wow, this shit's fucking weird. Like this is, this is just awkward. How so many, how many times have you, that. how many times have you farted during a role? So many. Yeah. I remember, uh, <laughs> there was a guy that I really, that I really, for like a long time I liked and he's so stupid. Um, and, and whatever. Uh, and I, I posted on my story that said, if you've never farted in training, you're not training hard enough. Like you're right. not trying hard enough. He's like, this is why we'll never date. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, I'm going to fart. And there's different ways to pass it off. You either pretend it never happened. Mm-hmm. You go, Oh God, that smells like, and you let's go over here. Right. Uh, let's, let's move, you know, but yeah, Definitely. I've had those things happen and it's like yeah. a good neon belly. And I remember I had a training partner who was a female and we were, we were drilling, we were at Cobrinas and there was a, a fart. She farted, we're doing neon belly drills. And of course the dudes are like, Ooh, that was over there. And she right. just goes, yeah, I had a burrito for lunch. Like, yeah, I farted. And they were like, okay. Like, they didn't <laughs> know what to do. So I just, you know, I've learned those things of how to deal with awkwardness um and and joking obviously helps so i i definitely think that i'm drawn to things that are already awkward so that when i'm awkward it just sort of blends in yeah and um with hardcore it was always like i i mean it was an event so it was like i gotta look the best and i gotta look like this and i gotta nod my head like and i gotta know the lyrics but if i don't know the lyrics i'm just gonna sit back but Maybe like I have a video of me at like Sound and Fury from like 2007 and it's during Down to Nothing and I love Down to Nothing. And it's just me going, ah, you know, like trying to go along with the lyrics and whatnot. And you could easily be like, wow, that's really lame. Like, what is she doing? And I could totally laugh at myself. But in the moment, it's fueled by passion. And I think a lot of passion is where you're forgiven. So like John Mayer, for example, when John Mayer is fucking riffing and going off, his face is literally contorting. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I saw him when I was 12, which was 20 years ago, which is amazing because he doesn't seem that old. But we went and saw him and he's like singing and it looks like it's it's painful. It looks like he's like, uh, yeah, your body is what we like. It's and so I'm like, you know, but it, but it's passion. He's just he's in it. He's yeah. in the moment. Bass so face. It's a thing. Like when dudes are like really like jamming out on the bass, they make like this like, slap of the bass. Yeah, like yeah. Dumb looking face. Yeah. So it's if it's passion, it's forgiven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I felt like as long as you were trying really hard, people were going to understand that when you're trying hard and especially when there's like you, you, there's fruition of your talent and you're actually able to produce something that people can appreciate, whether it's a song or a painting or a, a sick jujitsu match. Like I was able to submit someone of a high level and like do it pretty, pretty technically and beautifully. And the timing was right. So they, as long as there are fruitful, uh, you know, rewards of your passion that people could appreciate it. And so I felt like if you're farting, who cares? Cause you just took that dude's back, like fart and take their back mm-hmm. fart and choke them. Um, and so it, it definitely makes me feel more comfortable in my own skin when I, de- I clearly don't. Um, and, and, a, and it draws a lot of people who maybe needed that, like the, the scariest people. I mean, besides like the roided out dudes that are like competing and, uh, they're the nerdiest. The scariest people are the nerdiest. And because they they sit there and they're like, 
oh, wow. Like, so when I do this, there are now three moves that this person can do. And whenever these three moves happen, I have an answer for all three. And it's like this map and of, of, of moves. Right. And it's like, you know, they say it's like human chess and the nerdiest people are good at chess. And so, yeah, maybe sometimes their body is a little gangly and they can't really do the move as fast as their brain can tell them to do it. Yeah. But the great thing about it is that the mind and body connection becomes really, really just blended together when you just do the damn thing. And drilling, especially for an ADHD person, drilling is just doing that move over and over again. It's like me being a trumpet player and having to practice my scales. Uh, it's like I've done it a million times, but the more I do it, the more I can do it, especially when there's pressure. And so being able to rehearse things and practice it in a practical setting, whether it's just doing it, doing it, doing it over and over, or being like, hey, man, can you give me like 10% resistance so I can sort of see where I have to respond and then going from there. So people don't realize that like most people just go into a jujitsu gym and they do whatever their professor tells them. And they're not really thinking about what they're doing. They're just like, I don't know, I do the thing. And then I do the thing in rolling and it just works. Mm -hmm. um, but the nerdiest people are going to say, okay, so when I do this and you know, it's really, it's really technical and it, there's like a plan of attack. It's, it's, it's a destination too. It's not just, I'm going to punch this person as hard as I can. And like based on their reaction and see if I could just knock them out. Like there's no such thing in jujitsu. You have to skillfully move to a better position, attack a certain thing, be able to defend while you're attacking mm -hmm. and all of these really crazy things. It's like, like just physical contact of warfare. Do you find it, difficult or easy to kind of let go and um, give in, submit to the passion and just, you know, let yourself look ridiculous singing on, on stage or screaming along or, or, or rolling or whatever? Or do you have trouble kind of letting go and silencing, you know, the, the inner judge, as you were saying? Yeah, the inner critic is very harsh. Um, and when I started training at really big gyms and competing, obviously people kind of knew who I was because they're like, oh, that's that that's that one girl that trains with Homolo. And then when I moved over to Cobrinas, it was like, as soon as you wear that patch, people are like, oh, shit, she's from Cobrinas. Like, she's, she's probably going to win. She's probably got really good this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. um, and so as soon as you start putting those literal patches on your back and you're like suddenly representing things it becomes very very hard to be in the moment and and we call it like flow uh flow uh being mindful things like that that's in everything and and all the science all the all the literature it there's no one consensus on what that is but generally if you say flow they kind of understand it but they don't understand exactly how to produce it there's not one way to produce it and so uh, that's kind of the goal of all of sports psychology is to be able to get someone so automated that they're no longer judging and overthinking things and trying to make decisions and things are automated. So they usually try to do it with a keyword. So if you have a keyword or in jujitsu, when you see like, for example, if someone is grabbing both of my pants and they want to pass, like I know from from experience that. They're going to get the Toriando pass if I don't break those grips or if I don't go to spider guard, if I don't react. So those little cues that you show, you learn to recognize mm -hmm. that that activates a motor program. So 
um, a motor program would be not only just break the grip, but it would be break the grip, get my hips back in, recenter, set up a new guard. So that right. whenever I see that, boom, 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 I just do it automatically. And then being in the flow is just being able to do those things. However, when you get into a tournament, like I said, I'm like, oh God, um, how, how am I warming up? Like, am I looking am I like stupid? Like maybe if I, if I stretch, oh, people are looking at me and low, maybe they think I'm just so flexible. Like, oh, they're looking at me here. Oh man, I got to say hi to that person. I just ignored them. Oh my God, they're mm -hmm. going to hate me forever. Like these are things that I should not have to worry about, but there's so many things going on at a tournament that it's very, very hard for me not to overthink and to think about stupid things that literally don't matter. Um, and, and the people that can just get into the flow of things and not overthink and not judge themselves or judge others in the process, they're the ones that do the best. Um, yeah, that's usually my, my, my successes have come from me being able to do those things and do them well. It's a matter thinking. of harnessing the mind and getting it to either, you know, getting it to work for you instead of against you, which is, I think mm -hmm. what you're trying to do with, uh, sports psychology, it sounds like. Uh, and I think that in my opinion, uh, training the mind is much more difficult than training the body. The body is fairly mechanical. You want to mm -hmm. do a push up, you work up, you know, like you start in the top. You can't do a single push up. You start up at the top of, the, of a push up and go down until yep. you can do that. And then you can yep. like eventually push yourself up. Same way with pull ups. You, you start at the top and go down and then eventually you can pull yourself up. There is sort of a one to one, uh, you know, you get out what you put in and, yes. you know, like certain people's physicality and disabilities and stuff like that are uh, mitigating factors for sure. Mm -hmm. But it is much more like the body is a fairly simple machine of bones and tendons machine. and joints and muscles, you know, and the brain is the most complex, insane organ in the human body. And the mind is like not even tangible. It's a concept. Yep. It's, it's something you can't even really quantify quantify in any <laughs> way so it's it's much more difficult to harness it but like you know as you're saying you have a very active mind and it can either be focused on uh oh no like am i doing this right am i gonna lose uh, uh I, I i don't have enough money this month you know like all of that shit and 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 get in your way and cloud you and fog you up and 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 uh just just ruin your day and make you feel like shit. Um, or it can be focused on what you're doing and now all of a sudden you are aware they are grabbing this. That means I need to move over here. And the smarter and sharper your brain is, the more perceptive you are of those subtle little changes can be a benefit to you if it's not being used to like detect subtle changes in someone's tone or they didn't respond to a text or something. So you think that they hate you or whatever, like it's the same brain that's doing yeah. both of those things. And so a mat, it's a matter of getting it on your own side and getting it to fucking work for you. And that is a lifetime skill. Yeah. I love that, that connection that you've made of the nuances and being able to, to like be hyper aware of whether someone is in tune with you in a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there are things I know, like like autism, for example, um, when you're on the, the autism spectrum, you generally don't have those cues and they must be learned yeah. manually. 
Um, and I feel like that was me with physical things. So it took it for me, it takes me a long time to recognize the cues when I'm in danger. And that, I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years now and I still get caught up. There was like, I bring up the Toriano pass and like the grips because I had a training partner that literally would not be able or would, I would not be able to stop her from passing. She would literally just go boop and be like in the on belly. Mm -hmm. And I was taught one way to deal with it was to, oh, well, as soon as there's grips on my knees, I'll grab the sleeves. I'll get my legs up, put my feet on her bicep, and then I'll be in my spider guard. But she was so fast and she, she knew that. So she kept her elbows tight. Right. So, and instead of her just being like, bro, just don't let me make those grips. Because sometimes you you can rely on a good training partner that's going to give you that feedback to be like, yo, dude, let me help you out here. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm doing this. You're letting me. And then it's all going downhill. Right. And there. then it's over so, once I get my hands on your yeah. knees. Right. So I had to learn this pretty manually, but it took a very long time for me to do it on my like to learn, you know, and I'm stubborn. I'm like, but, th you know, my spider guard should work. And it was like, dude, just break a grip. I mean, if even if it's not both at least one. Uh, and so you have to sometimes just, it's not so much what you can do to someone else. It's how you can disrupt their, their moves and how you can stop them and take away something from them. So many times you go to sweep someone, they're on top, you're on bottom, you get them to get on their butt, but now you're both on your butt. And now you have to actually get up. And sometimes that person will just go, Oh, this leg, you mean that you need to put this on the floor so you can get up. Like that means that now they have time to get back up and not get swept. And so there's all these different nuances and, and it's very hard to notice. Um, and sometimes I think that when I, when I say that I'm hyper aware of like, you know, someone's body language and someone's facial expressions, I think I'm a little over critical, uh, critical and I, and I read them wrong. Usually I read them wrong and I'm worried. It's just like, okay, so that dude literally just doesn't think that's funny. doesn't mean he doesn't like me. doesn't mm -hmm. mean that he doesn't like, he doesn't enjoy my company. Or this person doesn't think just because they're not being like, wow, that's so amazing. Doesn't mean they're not impressed or that they don't value me or what I can do for them or just, you know, uh, things that I, I guess I want to get validation from people. So I have to understand that like the in jujitsu and in the physical realm of it, it doesn't always equate to what I'm thinking. And so the thinking part really truly does get in the way. So that connection you made of, of recognizing cues and recognizing cues, I guess, in jujitsu, they are similar, um, but the consequences are way more dire. Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's not so much like, oh, well, maybe he didn't get my joke. Like, I could just explain it to him later right. uh, versus, OK, I didn't deal with that thing that they just did to me. And now they're on my back and now they're choking me and I'm tapping and it's all over. Right. So there's consequences that feel like I always exacerbate them. Like I have gone and I've, like I said, like losing the first round at world. Like my mom, I was so distraught. My mom was like, do you need to call like the suicide hotline? Do you, do you need wow. to talk to someone? Yeah. It was that bad. I was literally like, you know, at the tournaments, they always have like the Brazilian meat uh, and like the, the different like picanha and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So my mom would always get that for me. Like after I would compete, and I remember I got it and I sat down and I'm just crying over this meat. Like, <laughs> I don't deserve this. Right. Um, and I just couldn't take a step back. I made my self-worth equal to my performance. Um, and that's 
definitely where you go wrong. And not a lot of like, a lot of people on the outside, people who cared about me, people who trained with me, people who were like my professors were obviously noticing that something was wrong. Like, bro, chill. Like, you, you know, this was pans. You got worlds. Like there's always something that you could do to improve. Right. Um, but in the back of my mind, I'm like so hard on myself that I'm like, no, that was an opportunity. And I put in so much money, time, sweat, all this like sacrifice just to not even have a medal, just to not even have my name on the results. It's almost like I was never here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hard to deal with. And of course, I can catastrophize and I can have all this distorted thinking to put myself down over and over again. Like there is material that I can make up that will put myself down, put myself down. Um, but it's it's like you have to train yourself to do the opposite. As much as you can automatically go to neg- negativity, you can also train yourself to reframe those thoughts into a more positive light. And so that's kind of what jujitsu has really taught me over the years, especially competition, is like bad shit's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Someone is someone is always going to be able to choke you. Like you're, you're never going to stay on the top. And in fact, if you always did, if you're the big fish in a small pond in your training and you don't practice those times when someone does take your back because you think that no one's going to, when, not if, when someone takes your back, you're not going to have the the understanding or the mechanisms yeah. or or maybe, maybe you're not going to be able to stay calm because you're like, oh my God, I've never been here before. What's happening? So if you don't train yourself, even in the worst possible situations, then you're not going to be ready for them. There's no such thing as being like, that'll never happen to me, right? Like that, yeah. oh, fuck. No, the, if you're tired, if you're thinking about that homework assignment that you just failed, if your your wife is mad at you, if your kid is sick at home and you feel like guilty that you're at training, like there's so many things that can compromise your ability to do well. And, and you have to understand that being human is that yes, you will fail. And that failure is going to be different levels. Sometimes it's losing the first match at Worlds. Sometimes it's just getting choked by a white belt when you're a blue belt. Like there are worse things that could happen and they will happen. (laughs) So I think jujitsu kind of prepares you for that. Like even if you're on top, like you're not gonna stay on top for long. It gets you used to uh, losing and sucking. Mm And which is a part of life and discomfort and all of those things that are going to come up. uh, And there is, I think, a human leaning towards, you know, perfectionism, um, towards being good at something right away. Um, And, you know, look, I'm from, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little young to have it be like a childhood movie for me but I remember watching the karate kid you know when I was when I was young and and thinking like oh this is this is really cool but like you know the way just narratively how that movie works is you know he's pretty good at it pretty quick yeah. which is not realistic um and it's just that's just kind of how it has to work um in order to pace the movie correctly, but that's not what real life is. And as much as it inspired, I think a whole generation of people to take up martial arts, it also uh, set up, I think maybe some false expectations for people to be like, Oh, actually this really sucks. Cause I'm out of shape. And like, I just get winded just doing like the jumping jacks at the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of class. And like, yep. Oh man, my fucking hands hurt and my wrists hurt and I'm all full of bruises and this, like this hurts. And like, 
I keep trying this and trying this and trying this and I keep failing and failing and failing. And there's, you know, the problem with perfectionism is you stay in your little box and you never go anywhere that uh, you haven't already mastered, you know, and, and, and so you're, the latitude of your life is going to be just really limited. Um, yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about Submit the Stigma. Um, you, uh, you, let's just talk about it. You, you, you founded it. What is it? What is Submit the Stigma? So Submit the Stigma is now a 501c3 um, nonprofit. Okay. But in the beginning, it was a campaign. So I, I like to say that I had a lot, not a lot of influence, but I worked for Gracie Mag. So when I was a Purple Belt, um, I was going off and I, not only was I competing in all these big tournaments and you, you kind of like see everybody on the circuit and they see you. So it's a very small community, um, but I was interviewing the best of the best. And I was writing these interviews and people who wanted to like get sponsors and and to be recognized for their accomplishments would come to me and be like, hey, Aaron, like, I just won this tournament. Like, do you think we could do something? And then, you know, is there a story there, blah, blah, blah. So I had that sort of influence. Um, and then also just, uh, I started winning shit. So that helps too. So when people were looking at brackets and they were like, all right, what names are here? Like, oh, Aaron, Aaron. Um, yeah, she's probably gonna do pretty well. Or the way that like, Nowadays, they actually do the seeding of the brackets, uh, but then it was just random. For anyone uh, like below black belt, it was like, fuck it. If you guys were the finals of pans, you might fight first round worlds. So that was pretty shitty. Apparently, they do actually like take into account your like ranking um, nowadays. But back in the day, it was like whatever. But they still would do it like in a blog or people would talk about it or people would go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That girl won one pan. So obviously she's going to win worlds. Right. And then. Of course, that like adds pressure. So um, in 2015, while I was living in, in Jersey, uh, my dad died by suicide. And that was just a call by my aunt saying, you know, your dad died. He shot himself and me just being like, what the fuck? And my dad and I never really got along. Like we had moments, obviously, but, but we were so similar. And I think that the things that he that he was never diagnosed, but I think he definitely had ADHD um, and he was really smart, but it was overshadowed by you didn't follow the rules. But why? But why did you do it that way? But I know you wanted to help, but like, that's not the way to go about it. So he was always put down for those things. And I think that cycle just continued. And I think we were very similar. And he always thought that I was like, like trying to be better than him or like his thing was like, oh, you think you know more than me? Stuff like that. And it's like, well, I could, you know, so um there was a lot of, you know, turmoil, I guess, but he was starting to come around. And I think when people have decided that they are going to end their life, there's this piece. Mm -hmm. um, my mom said that he had actually gone, got a haircut. He had lost a bunch of weight. Like he was just on the right track. And it, and it sucks that his motivation was, I'm, it's okay. Whatever I do now, it doesn't matter because I'm just going to end it all. And then there was no, no, we don't know. We don't know. And we just have to accept that it was his choice. And so um, reeling from that, my mom, my sister and I went to a grief counselor and me being like so open, like on social media and whatnot. And then I wanted to tell people, I wanted to say like, this is what happened. But what I found was that when I did this GoFundMe for the National Alliance of Mental Illness, 
because we figured if my dad was ever going to do like research for his own mental health, it was going to be like on his own. And I think that NAMI is such an important thing. There's the chapters everywhere. There's it's, it's really not like, oh, I need to call um, a psychiatrist or I need to call a psychologist or I need to see what's on my insurance. It's just like pure peer information and all that peer counseling, all that stuff. So I was like, this is a great organization. But what I found was that people reached out and they were like, yeah, like my mom died by suicide or I have suicidal thoughts. I've never told anyone that, or, you know, all these different things that were coming out of the woodwork that were like, wow, I'm definitely not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always struggle with like depression and anxiety um, and ADHD. So I was never diagnosed. My parents never took me to a doctor. But while I was in jujitsu and feeling like, wow, empowered, um, I had sought out my own diagnosis and I, I got diagnosed and I started seeking therapy and I was on medication. So by that time, I had understood that like what's wrong with me is just, you know, that's just it's the it's the mental illness. Like it's not me as a person. So this, your, I took, your, I'm sorry, your diagnosis was before or after prior. Uh, it was, it was prior. after starting jujitsu, but prior to my dad dying. Mm. So, um, I had already been like on Concerta or Ritalin for like my ADHD and whatnot to finish college. Um, and so me realizing that I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stand up and like say something about this because whether I wanted it to be or not, like I'm always going to be synonymous with like depression and anxiety because like mm-hmm. i'm so out there that like people have always kind of noticed like there's something different about her she's so sensitive right so i made a sign that said hashtag submit the stigma of mental illness and i had it on the podium at um, nogi pans nogi worlds europeans um and other people were like oh i want to hold it up too i'm like sweet you know so i noticed that there was something going on here and someone was like why don't you make patches so I got patches made and it all just started with this community that was building because I wanted to normalize mental health. And so many times, especially in the competition world, like our physical health. Oh, you, did you do your strength and conditioning? Did you drill? How, how often are you training? How many times are you putting yourself to work? You know, um, but no one talks about the mental skills or the anxiety that comes with competition nerves. Um, like competition nerves. That's the reason why most people don't even compete because they're so nervous about losing, about getting hurt, about embarrassing themselves, all of these things. And I'm like, obviously there's an issue here. And I want people to feel comfortable and know that like, you're not alone. This is okay. This is normal. This happens. Like everyone goes through this, things like that. So, um, being able to be that voice for people to be like, look, I know that I've won some shit, but trust me, I struggle. Like I am not comfortable in my own skin before I go to a, like a match before I compete, I'm shitting myself. Like I, I, you know, it's almost like I don't even like it, but I do it because it's hard. I do it because it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And then if I get that shit going and I get my flow and I, and I submit the first whatever, and I win the match, like it's all worth it. So I've sort of been that voice for people and I think there's a lot of people in jujitsu, especially it's not just sports. It's really jujitsu that for some reason, a lot of people have their trauma or undiagnosed or diagnosed mental illnesses or, or just PTSD. Um, people seek things that, that, that are challenging and that make them change and make them rise to an occasion. And jujitsu really brings that out of them and competition, especially. 
And I never realized that. I was always like, well, I'm just doing it because uh, I don't know. I just want to be cool. I just want to be cool. I just want to be cool. (laughs) I want to get a medal. I want people to follow me and be like, wow, she's badass. Um, But then, you know, I realized like, wow, this is actually just helping my mental health. And so I just chose to be as authentic as possible to be like, I have ADHD. (laughs) I take Prozac. And just especially when I teach my seminars and whatnot, like there's so many people that I say these things and they're like, you see like the nodding heads or like, and then someone comes up to me after and they're like, dude, yeah, I'm on Prozac or I'm on Zoloft or I take this or I have anxiety, things like this, or I see a therapist and it's, it's totally normal. And our generation helps. Like we're now like, I went to a therapist versus boomers. Like my parents were like, Oh my God, she's seeing a therapist. Did um, you, something wrong you, with her. Were you ever able to discuss uh, therapy with your parents? Yes. So my dad, no. Um, mm. I wasn't, my dad just felt like he, I remember being like, he said something like, um, because my parents never really got along, especially like later in life. But um, my, so my dad like lived in the den. Uh, he just sort of moved all of his shit there. Um, but they were still together. Yes, technically. Mm. Yes. Uh, in the same house. And then he was like, oh, I'm just waiting till your mom kicks me out. And I'm like, dude, just like, like you love growing tomatoes. Like, go, go do something. He stopped working when I was 15. Uh, he didn't like his job. They were treating him like shit or whatever it was. And my mom's like, all right, so go get another job. And he just never, never did. Yeah. And that could have been. A, a that sounds like untreated things. depression to me. Uh-huh. It's, and I, so, I've, I've yeah. had, I, I know people like this. Yeah. Yes. And we all do. I mean, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, he's he doesn't really believe in himself or whatever the fuck people think. Um, And and if you if someone doesn't want to get themselves help, you can't help them. That was the hardest part. My mom used to think that if I tell people that my husband died by suicide, they're going to blame me. They're going to be like, well, Mm. what? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you notice? And anyone in that situation understands that. People are going to do what they're going to do, and they're not going to share all of their thoughts. They're not going to share all of their plans. My dad knew exactly how he wanted to go out. He researched it. He he did everything like the way that he felt he needed to, and we had no idea, and we were never probably going to stop him. And if you stop them once, it was what, you know? And if it's not so much that, like, I believe that people are destined to die by their own hands or that they're not meant for this world, but... If they think that the, the 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 work it takes to get to a place in this world where they feel competent, where they feel like they have control over their lives, where they feel like they matter to people, um, sometimes that work they feel is just too much, and they don't want to do it. And they they it I fucking hate when people say they took the easy way out because yeah. suicide Same. is not easy there are so many people including myself who have had suicidal thoughts ideations who have um made attempts and it's scary it's fucking of course you know that's not the easy way out um existing in a in a shallow grave of existence i guess is easier than it would be to actually complete the act you know what always gets me about that phrase taking the easy way out is it it almost like it's sort of acknowledging that everybody wants to die you know like that's isn't isn't that what like the underlying like oh they took the easy way out there they did the thing that we all wanted to do 
which, which is stop living. Yeah. Like that's the implication of what that statement yeah. is. I, yeah, and you're right. It, it's, it's always yeah. bothered me because yeah, like that's not an easy decision to make. And that's not, I, I just don't, I know that it hurts people around you, you know, like the, the, the survivors of suicide, uh, if someone kills themselves, uh, like the, the, the friends and family they leave behind are deeply hurt and sometimes traumatized if they're the one to find them and everything like it's a horrible yep. thing. But uh, in order to get to that place, the amount of pain that you have to be in is unimaginable. You know, yeah. and that's the thing that, like, I want to uh, communicate to people is that to be put in that kind of a desperate situation to where you would rather not exist than exist with the pain that you are living with, then that is a rough fucking situation. And until you are there, it's not really fair to judge people for for doing that, you know, and like. I can make kind of a, a similar, uh, uh, these are very different things, but like with, with, uh, undocumented immigrants coming, coming over and people will say things like, well, why, how would they put the, why would they put their kids in danger and make this really dangerous trek, uh, you know, up through Mexico and like, you know, they can die of heat stroke or they can die of exposure or whatever. And like, why would they do that? And like, it's, it's like, they're not just doing it just cause like they're yep. doing it because they are desperate and they have no other fucking choice, dude. Like, what do you think? Like there, this isn't like a fucking game to them. Like, what are you talking about? And um, you have not been put in the position of being so materially starved that you are willing to take that kind of risk. Like, Oh, me and my whole family yeah. might die on the way to this thing, but we're just going to have to take that plunge because like, we'll get murdered by a drug cartel. If we stay here, David Foster Wallace said that depression is or and suicide is like choosing whether you want to deal with a fire like a burning beer in a burning building mm -hmm. people don't jump from a burning building because they want to die it's because they want to take their lesser death basically right. they want to get they want to take the the risk of a lesser situation than what they, <clears throat> they've got going on um and that that sort of puts it in a perspective and people who don't suffer from emotional or like cognitive pain um who only understand maybe physical pain or or don't understand what it feels like to think that you have no options it's like there could be there 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 could be a solution right in front of you but your mental illness or your depression or your catastrophizing thoughts don't let you see that mm -hmm. um and what you perceive is all that matters a lot of times there are assessments that we do in, in sports psychology of like stress. So uh, it's not a stress scale. It's a perceived stress scale. It does not matter if you and I are both put in a burning building, we're going to, we're going to assess it differently. We're going, it's how you perceive it, how you assess it, how you appraise it is how much stress you feel. And everyone's going to appraise things differently based on the wiring of their brain, their relationships, their past traumas, their past experiences, mm -hmm. um, like be, being able to say, oh, it's, it's okay. I've been here before. Like, and I know what to do, or I've gotten out of this before. I previous success, um, past accomplishments, those things. But 
a lot of people don't understand that it's how things are perceived that matters and what fucks you up is your own brain and when your thoughts become your enemy uh it's very hard for anyone on the outside to either understand or to convince you that you are not believing what you're believing and that what you believe is not real because what is real is always up to us um and i think that that's the hardest part about consciousness is that it can be completely misconstrued based on whatever information that your brain is telling you. Um, and unless you can learn to identify those types of thoughts and reframe them or to find some, some outlet like jujitsu. And this is sort sort of circling back to the original kind of question you asked is that jujitsu is therapeutic, but jujitsu is not therapy. Yeah. Jujitsu is not going to break any cycles. Jujitsu is not going to, solve all your problems it's not going to teach you how to treat people better um unless you are you are actively learning how to do that yeah. or someone is actively teaching you which all of those opportunities are there sure it but, can help it's a weight on yeah. the scale but you know it's not the entire thing it's not the solution that's that's the, you have to be able to learn what's going on individually with you it might be it, it might put it into a vacuum so when someone mounts you and you start freaking out, like you may go, oh, why is that? Why am I freaking out when I'm totally okay? I could totally just be like, hey, partner, um, I don't like the situation. Can we start over? Um, mm -hmm. There's just, you know, it, things that trigger you are definitely something you need to look into. And what jujitsu does is it puts you into those awkward, uncomfortable, challenging situations where you go, why did I react that way? Or, wow, I never realized that that was something that bothered me. And then it's if it could be fuel like it was for me to go search for those answers and go, wow, maybe it's not me per se. It's not my personality. It's not me as like, it's not my character. It's literally something in my brain that is telling me that like you fucking suck. Uh, this is not safe. Um, you should, you should go do dangerous things. Um, you should be impulsive. You should spend money. You don't have like all these issues. Like jujitsu is not going to fix them, but they do sort of give you a lens to see them and uh, that you otherwise uh, wouldn't, that you would just go on with your daily life thinking this is, this must be normal. This must be okay to suffer this. Much. Right. This is my existence. And mm -hmm. I, like it, it's it, it's unalterable. Um, yes. Are you are you in therapy right now? So I uh, I'm on Medi-Cal at home, which mm -hmm. is like the the just the state run. Like I'm like I make very little money. Right. Please give me healthcare. Um, and I've and I looked into it based on my on my um, insurance. And actual therapy is very hard to find. It's so fucking hard. And I advocate for it, but it's hard. Um, to find someone who's taking new clients, someone that, that like you relate to someone that is available and cost don't even get me with the cost. Cause sometimes people, most psych, uh, psychologists or therapists or counselors don't even take insurance. And I understand why it's yeah. fucking bullshit. Um, and so there's a lot of, of obstacles and I'm not even talking about stigma. I'm talking about legit obstacles. Right. So no, I'm not seeing a therapist and I would like to, I've tried better help. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. There's something about, I'd rather just like work with a human rather than be like, 
okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to write to you all my issues. I'm going to fill out this assessment and then we're just going to talk online. Like I just didn't feel connected and I'm very solution oriented. Like that's what I want. I want someone to give me homework. I want to be able to retrain things rather than just be aware. Like I am very self-aware. I am aware of the things that I have wrong with me. Um, I need solutions, buddy. Um, so that's, that's on my to-do list. I, I take Prozac and I take gabapentin. So I do have a psychiatrist that I, that I, uh, work with, um, like every, you know, every other month. And I've been on that medication since 2016. I've gone various doses, but I'm on the highest dose that I've ever taken. So instead of, you know, weaning off of it, uh, especially with the pandemic and whatnot, I actually went up in, in milligrams, like up in the dose. And, mm-hmm. and that can feel really like, oh my God, I'm taking a step backwards, but it's not. Um, I've become comfortable with the medication. I've become comfortable with being like, yeah, it makes me be able to not be such an emotional roller coaster to give me time to actually think about things. And when I was on Concerta, it gave me the motivation to actually finish it that I don't really want to do. No one actually likes to fold laundry, but for me, it like is like painful. It's like painfully boring. Uh, that I have found ways to go about it being like, okay, I'm either going to smoke a lot of weed so that anything is interesting, mm-hmm. or I'm going to have music going, or I'm going to put it in a living room. And while I'm watching a show, I'm going to fold my laundry yeah. then. So there's all of these ways that I can go about it. But s- sometimes it's really hard to do that research on your own and having a therapist be like, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? It's very it's very helpful. And I think everyone, literally everyone, whether you have a diagnosable issue or not, should see a therapist to be able to see, speak to someone who like, it's like a life coach, right? That yeah. someone's like, have you thought about this? Uh, this is hard for you. Why don't we do this to make it easier for you? Like who wouldn't want someone to help you make life easier? So I advocate it definitely. It's just that I have my own issues with trying to find one and trying to, you know, I just got my mom to find one. So she finally went to a local like counseling center and she was working with a student. And I remember hearing the conversations. I'm like, this, this girl's not going to help my mom. This girl's not like, like she, my mom has deep seated issues from when she was a child, Mm -hmm. finding my dad, all of these, you know, crazy things like she needs to delve into. So she got, I told her, so you need to advocate for yourself. She got That's that the boomer thing. trauma. That is some, yeah, right. That is some so deep tartar, like really hard to shit. scrape off. So she, she finally found someone like more her age who understands that, that type of trauma, yeah. who has worked with domestic abuse, who has worked with people who have anxiety, depression. She has like deep seated generalized anxiety disorder, things like that. So she's finally really comfortable with this woman to the point where whenever she feels like really like, oh God, I'm feeling overwhelmed or I don't mm-hmm. know what to do. She can text this woman and she's going to, you know, going to help her. And I'm like, finally at 67, <laughs> you are finally getting the help that you deserve. Um, I think it so- works both ways too. I think uh, like when I started seeing a therapist that was closer to my age too, that was like a millennial mm-hmm. and could like understand yeah. stuff with like climate dread and student debt and stuff. I was just like, okay, like I actually, you know, re- like, so I, you know, that is another thing that I kind of want to put out there that, uh, it's not impossible, but it makes it a lot easier, I think, if who you're talking to is at least somewhat generally more in your life experience realm, mm-hmm. you know, like be, be that generationally or ethnically or whatever. Like it just it does kind of help. It just makes people more comfortable. Yeah. And then it makes it less 
of here's a long presentation of all the things I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, it could just be assumed that, oh, she's 32 and doesn't have kids. I wonder why. Uh, Probably because kids are expensive. Uh, she lives in Los Angeles. Right. She uses her body. Not to just be able because she's uh, selfish and immature and right, uh, or that to, I don't want to grow them. up and have kids and blah blah blah. Yeah. Or uh, oh, she's thirty two and she's unmarried. Like I luckily, like my mom, the only thing that she pressured me and my sister to do was go to college. You know, be educated. Yeah. Give your give yourself that that leg up to be able to do whatever you want, whatever you want but you need to be able to cover the cost of living. <laughs> um, and that's probably why I've wanted to get out of right. LA for so long. Cause it's so fucking yeah, expensive. I mean, the whole New York too, second, right? the second half of that equation where you go to college and then you can afford the cost of living is not really exactly. So fully, someone like my which mom, is why I think that's yeah, going to yeah. solve it. Talking, yeah. to, talking to other millennials about that stuff where we're like, Being like where's yeah. this fucking, uh, lucrative job and future yeah. shit supposed to kick in. Where this, are all these benefits? Yeah. And like, what, like what's, yeah. So you just take like my mom, for example, went to mass, uh, was in her master's program at the same school CSUN that I went to for anthropology. Um, and then they IBM came and was like, here, learn this like training. We're going to do this training. You do this, you get the job. You just, you know, it, right. it just snowballs from there. Cool. You're in. Uh, you have a job that pays Adam, a living wage and has benefits yes. and insurance for 40 and not years. Because you need to, and not because you need to right. work super hard or you need to be special. Like you're given that opportunity because it, it should be, it should be available to everybody instantly. When she got hired, she was making more than her professors. <sighs> like it's just, you know, and like my dad was always like, go get a business degree. Like go to, like, right. first of all, he said, go to community college instead of going to this four year, because if you want to do, he didn't really explain it too well. I was more like, I don't want to be in the 13th grade. Like right. I want to go to real college. So yeah, there's, you know, my dad sort of understood this, like the, the, like, don't, don't do the, the chalked up version where like you have to go to a four year or you, you have to do this. You right. have to do that. Do a trade school or something. Exactly. Um, that was here probably in Canada, the, they that have probably that. the move. Yeah. I, yeah, it was the move. Yeah. Uh, but again, having ADHD and only being able to really follow through and complete things that I'm stimulated by mm-hmm. and interested in, that would have been, that still would have been an issue. Right. Um, but it might have given me a leg up, might have not. It doesn't matter. No one, honestly, like I got that, I got a four year degree, it took me seven years, but I have that. And No one has ever been like, but do you have a degree? Like no one gives a shit what I got my degree in because it's the minimal. It's literally the minimal. Or if you can learn how to talk yourself up and be an entrepreneur or be a social media influencer, like using those skills, like there are certain routes, but it's like you had to start when you were two Yeah. because they want, they want that much experience. Um, And I just feel like it's not meant for, for people who are fueled by passion, mm-hmm. it's like here, slave away for this person who will give you a paycheck and hopefully benefits. And no matter what, you're just going to stay with them. And hopefully that means that you just keep getting promotions strictly off of how long you've been there, um, which is, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And I think that finally having having the generation speak up and be like, look, we've done all the shit you told us to do. It's still not working. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the only thing that like gives me any kind of hope with uh, any kind of social change is that I'm seeing a lot of labor organizing happening across the country now. And I'm like, okay, there's some actual power there that might actually because like I've been, you know, screaming and railing against the the military industrial complex and like begging my country to not go to war again and again and again Mm -hmm, forever. mm -hmm. And it just won't happen. And like climate change stuff, like just all of that stuff is just like such frustrating, bang your head against the wall progress. But like the minute labor starts to organize and you start to like grab the economy by the balls and be like, no, we do this shit and we're not going to, if you don't give us what we want, then the powerful start to listen, lo and behold. Right. I don't know. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like getting into a boomer's head is very, very difficult. So hard. Yeah. <laughs> like they need to feel it. They need to feel it. They need to experience mm-hmm. it. But a lot of times you can't give them those experiences because they're so cushioned in their lives that that like they're not going to feel those things. But I think with my mom, being like I've lived with my mom for all this time, besides mm-hmm. like the two years that I was, um, you know, in Jersey, like I, she sees it. Like she sees the struggle. She sees that like how much work I put into things and how much reward I don't get back. Mm-hmm. And, and so seeing it firsthand has really helped her understand the, the, just the, the layout of what's going on for us. And even though she's cushioned well, with her pension, with the money that she saved and mm. stuff. And she happened to find a job that she actually did enjoy doing um, for like 38 years. Uh, she understands. She, she finally gets it. So I don't have to feel guilty asking for help. I don't have to yeah. feel guilty being like, like having her pay for my groceries and whatnot. Cause she understands, but she's only one person. Um, yeah. And you it's know, a, that, but, I mean, that's encouraging that, you know, like hearts and minds one by one. But like, oh, my God, I, I, I didn't mean to uh, end the, uh, the the show on, on like such mo- a negative mo- millennial labor issues. Now I'm mad. <laughs> but this was a really this was a really good talk uh, overall. Yeah, like, I'm just, I just got to like go, uh, sh- you know, shake it off, um, you know, uh, do some. <laughs> Do some shadow boxing. <laughs> yeah, just, just like get it out of my system. Right. Uh, but uh, Aaron Hurley, this was fucking great. I'm glad I finally got to talk to you. Uh, let's let's do plugs. How can people find you? Uh, submit yeah. the stigma and all of that stuff if they want to know yeah. more. So submit the stigma, um, the Instagram. We have stories and facts that kind of go on there. So people share their stories of how jujitsu and mental health and all of that has either helped them or affected them. Um, because sharing your story basically ma- creates a community and also makes it okay for other people to, to speak about things that, oh no, you shall not speak about. And uh, Instagram is my name, Aaron Hurley, H-E-R-L-E. Uh, I have a website that I don't really use, but the website for Smith the Stigma, we're building a blog. Mm-hmm. We have merchandise, um, smiththestigma.org. And if you want to send in your story, you can either reach out to us via DM on Instagram or stories at submitthestigma.org. We, it's 2200 character limit. Try to keep it under that. Otherwise, we will edit it for you and a picture and your IG handle. And every Monday we release them and we need more. Uh, so that would be great. And um, that's about it. I don't really do the whole sponsor thing anymore. I just do... Smith the Stigma, that's my shit. I'm just trying to push that and we're trying to make it a really big thing. So, yeah, I'm hoping that it can uh, change more lives in the future. Hell yeah. 
Well, this was great. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that there's people out there in the fight sports world that are, you know, fighting the good fight and uh, taking this uh, mental health stuff seriously and trying to make uh, the martial arts world a more uh, approachable and inclusive place for people, especially people so. who uh, are dealing with mental health and self-esteem issues because it, yep. it, it, it's a huge help. It's a plague, but uh, there is there is a solution. There are solutions. There is help. There is a community that can back you. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be jujitsu, but jujitsu is just one of the many many opportunities for you to find your people. Hell yeah! Well, I'm gonna let you get back to uh, doing nothing and and uh, yes, feeling 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 bad about and, it and, and feeling bad about yourself and all of that stuff. Okay, <laughs> awesome. I'll talk to you later. Thanks once again to Aaron Hurley being on the show and uh thank you for listening and uh hope you hope you just got something out of it i don't know start training start doing anything honestly i don't know i know that it's not for everybody but if you're thinking that maybe it's for you eh, go for it try it out everybody looks dumb and feels dumb for like a long time with this process in any rate do something to find some sort of community. Do something uh, where you get out your fucking house and get out of your comfort zone. It's essential for growth, for development and all of that shit. All right. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, once again, follow me at Radical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at SelfWorst. Uh, SelfWorst at Gmail patreon.com slash selfworst kicking as little as a dollar a month you get bonus content videos and stuff and uh that's all music is by shea bartell thank you so much to shea that's it uh i'm gonna go now i'm brad pearson and i'll see you in hell